Sharon Brett Kelly and I'm at Splore Music Festival just outside of Auckland uh, and what a scene it is, it's the most incredible day and there are all kinds of people in amazing outfits. There's a woman in front of me with bright orange leggings and matching lycra top and a fluorescent pink cowboy hat. She's got red hair and she's having a great time dancing to this music. Anyway, I'm not here to enjoy the entertainment. I'm here to find out about the drug testing service that's going on here because New Zealand was the first country in the world to legalize drug checking. So I'm going to talk to the people involved and I'm going to head into the tent very shortly. I'm heading to the tent run by Know Your Stuff, a publicly funded drug checking program. It was set up in 2015, a time when dangerous psychoactive chemicals and adulterated substances really started to pop up. And they are still on the scene. In fact, there are fresh warnings of a synthetic drug doing the rounds at university orientation weeks. But honestly, we're at the, the bottom of the world um, with a very, very changing drug market all of the time. So I don't know if what we're doing right now can like stand up to the forces of, of the global drug market. That's Know Your Stuff's general manager, Casey Spearin, telling a small crowd that the good news is that overall there's been an improvement in the drugs they check, as in fewer have bad substances. You know, dealers know these days that people have access to drug checking, so I think there will start to be a bit more kind of push on the market from that side to be like, you're not going to get away with um, selling dodgy stuff for very long, and certainly we've seen that. Uh, with the um, with the dark web where you know people are really quickly going I just got this tested it's not the same and then that product's off the market. But as she tells me on our way to the drug checking tent one in ten doses they check is still dodgy. What we check has stayed broadly the same um, MDMA is, is our bread and butter in terms of, of working out of festivals and, and across the country, to be honest. Um, this year we're looking at about about 90, 90% of the drugs are um, coming back, you know consistent with what they were purchased as. And that's pretty good. It's probably one of our, our better years on record for that number. Um, we still maintain that, you know, 10% not as, as presumed is, is not good enough. And if you went to a bar and uh, there was a, you know, one out of 10 chance that your wine was actually methanol, you'd be pretty upset about that. Absolutely, because that 10% could be deadly. Yeah, it could be. Um, we have been seeing, you know, a number of harmful things this summer. Um, synthetic cathinones are often sold as MDMA, and you know we're seeing those pop up. There's been a lot coming up um, in Dunedin this week over O Week, um, up to half of the MDMA that we got through some of our orientation week uh, drug checking clinics was not was um, cathinones and cathinones. Could you explain yeah. to me what they are? Cathinones are a uh, synthetic version of what was previously a plant um, product from the cat plant and they're often sold as MDMA. We've just detected probably one or two brand new types of cathinones in the last few days in Dunedin as well, and that just really shows that um, we're just gonna continue to play whack-a-mole with all of these research chemicals that, that can you know, hit the market with, with zero quality control. These substances are active at you know, a quarter to a third the amount of MDMA that you would take, so you know, people can unknowingly take three or four doses um, and have a really bad time for you know, 48 hours onwards. Like you say, you wouldn't buy a glass of wine 
and think, God, there's a one in ten chance that this is dodgy. And and the sad thing is, you know, for people purchasing something like MDMA, MDMA has been used in humans since the 1960s, and you know, maybe as early as the 1920s, depending on whose history you're looking at, um, and has been shown to be safe. There's you know no no long-term consequences um, to taking that that we know of at this point. Um, whereas it's being substituted with these untested research chemicals that are just completely unknown and often really dangerous. And It became legal to do drug checking. That just happened in 2020 here in New Zealand, first country in the world. Yep. How has that changed what you do and, and I guess how it's all done? So the, the legislation that came through in 2020 was, was great for a number of reasons. It meant that festivals could bring us in and not you know, be in breach of the Misuse of Drugs Act so they can actually have us on site, advertise us, um, and know that you know, they might not have their whole festival canned. And also meant that we could offer people legal protection. So now we can say, you can come get your drugs checked. That's not going to result in a criminal charge for you. You're not in breach of the Misuse of Drugs Act. So we can um, start to approach people. And, and with that came funding and you know, the ability to work outside of festivals. So now we're all over the country. Um, there's continuous testing happening in Dunedin and Christchurch and Wellington. That's becoming available to people outside of festival settings. What do you say to people who say this is just encouraging illicit drug use, that it's normalising it? I would say that drug use is already pretty normal. <laughs> um, you know, we know from the police wastewater testing data that people are taking about 80,000 doses of MDMA per weekend in New Zealand. And that's just MDMA. That's, you know, not including all of the other things that people take. Um, it's already normalized. What's not normalized is talking about it out in the open. Um, and that's really what we're doing. You know, we, we check drugs, but we sit people down. We have a conversation with them. This is what you've got. What are you doing to keep yourself safe? You know, how do you look after your friends? And we're just consistently hearing from people. This is the first time I've had an honest conversation with someone about drugs. Well, we're outside the drug checking tent right now, and there's a small queue. Before there was a really big queue. So people are obviously not afraid to come up to this tent with their whatever drug it is and get it checked. Some people are afraid, um, and you know, we do have people kind of approach sheepishly, and they'll go, "Hi," you know, they're they're nervous. Um, but again, because it's legal, we can go up to them and say here's your rights under the law and you know there's there's no cops there's no security around so um, come in this private room in the back and we'll have a chat so what, what can we do now casey can we go in yeah let's tent? yeah let's go have a look inside the tent it's a bit like a laboratory with lots of workers and volunteers in their yellow t-shirts taking samples testing them on special machines and putting the data into their laptops it's bustling, lots of laughter, lots of chat. But this is sensitive work. They're dealing with illegal, sometimes dangerous substances that have to be carefully handled and properly disposed of. Not to mention keeping the drug user's identity secret. I've been told not to photograph or speak to any of the clients who are here to have their drugs tested. Um, so I've just sat down at a table inside this, this little tent and I'm sitting in the seat of someone who was getting their drug tested. So I've handed you over something. So you, do you introduce yourself? What happens? Yes. So the first thing we do is we always want to ask um, whether someone has been here before. Um, because that will, you know, it's quite handy to know. And we always get someone, to, we always get a person to read a waiver. 
which just explains what we do and also what we don't do. You know, we don't do purity, that kind of thing. Um, and, and should we also describe what else is on the table here? I mean, we've got a, we've got a thing of Dettol. We've got a little container of, with pens in it. <laughs> pens and little knives. And then we also have small scissors and little tiny spatulas. What is this thing in front of me here? So this is a scale and this is what we use to weigh any pressed pills that come in. And then we've also got a pill cutter and this just makes our lives a little bit easier when we are testing pills because we want to cut them in half mm. and scrape from the inside. So that's just a little a little tool. You're not wearing gloves, I'm a bit... What would you normally? I would normally be oh, wearing so, gloves. Okay. Yes, so. always wearing gloves. Um, Firstly, so we don't contaminate, but secondly, also, you can imagine things that come in like LSD you don't want to touch. So so what's the next step? You would pull out your bag of something. I would say, what do you think you have? And what does it normally come in? It's just a little plastic bag, is it? The well, drug? People can bring their drugs to us in any form, sometimes wrapped in tin foil or, you know, a little um, piece of paper wrapped around it or anything like that. Essentially, I would ask you to put your whole sample onto my little clean plate. And depending on what the actual substance is, if it's a crystal or a powder, I would take a very small scoop. I think this is a 10 milligram scoop. And that little stick with a tiny, tiny bowl at the end of it. Exactly. Yeah. And the way that we describe it is we take sort of about a sample the size of a match head. So very small. We actually test even less, so we don't even test this whole amount. Um, but you just want to have, you know, a little bit to err on the side of caution. Um, and we take a little bit of that sample. If it's a powder or a crystal, we put it in our plastic bag, which is labelled with your number, and then um, have a little conversation with you about, you know, g general information. Have you tried this before? What was the experience? We note down the colour. What, what drug you think it is, that's quite important. What form it takes, what, you know, all that kind of information. So we've only got identifying information on the drug, absolutely nothing on the, on the client at all. And if it's something like a, you know, something like an LSD sheet, we do a different type of test for that. And that will involve us taking a very small slice with scissors out of that little paper sheet. While, while you've been chatting to me, these guys, your colleagues next to me, have been actually doing some real testing. So if I, were, if I did have a drug, you'd be doing the same kind of testing right here in front of the client. Yes. So we test, we can test, you know, depending on capacity, we can test LSD directly in front of the client. Um, that's quite helpful because people can see it happening and you can kind of have a really engaging conversation. Um, anything that has to go through the spectrometer, we don't test here because that's a, you know, longer process with high-tech um, things going on. But, yeah, depending on capacity and how many people we've got in line, we are able to do those reagent tests for LSD directly in front of people. And, and they can see, you know, how much of any substance we, that we take, mm. which gives them clarity about, you know, like, oh, it's not all my drugs, it's not everything gone, it's just a little tiny amount that they need. So, yeah, that's really important to kind of be transparent about that process. Mm. Mm. Okay. And then we send our little bag out the back where it gets tested by a spectrometer. Um, at that point when you are you know, interacting one-on-one -on -one with the client, that's when you say go get a coffee, come back in 10 minutes oh, yeah. and someone will be available to chat with you about what you've got. What kind of reactions do you get? Because I mean we're sort of sitting next, we were sitting next to a couple who obviously had some dodgy drugs and they seemed absolutely grateful that they had been told that. So yeah, what kind of responses do you I think everyone here is really thankful, you know, people are excited to have the service available and have it free as well, you know, be able to be safe with very little 
effort on their part, to be totally honest. It's never good to have something that you've spent money on that you've got an expectation for. It's never good to have that turn out to be wrong. But this is the point where we can say, well, you can, you know, you can commit to having a bad night if you wanted, or you can know now and you can make make your plans and change your plans and actually end up really enjoying yourself and not ending up in a harmful situation. So I think people really understand that there's a real value in this and it's it's a personal thing for them. You know, sometimes people come to us and they say, I tried this yesterday. I had a really bad time on it. Something was weird. I don't like it. And it's like, well, we're going to test that. If it comes back with something they're not expecting, that might mean they don't do it again tonight. So, yeah, it's just quite, it's quite simple, actually. It's just, you know, what, what do people want to do? People want to have a good time. No one's taking, you know, drugs to have a bad time. So <laughs> we just confirm that. Right. So are we allowed to take, go through and see what happens with the spectrometer? Is that the next move? Yeah, absolutely. Let's go see some testing. Also crammed into this very busy tent are two researchers from Britain where drug checking is not legal. They're observing the model here and trialling their own UV drug testing devices, nicknamed Gary and Barry. Why? Uh, so we also have Larry and we also have Harry and they're at home currently. <laughs> but, uh, it was... Having names for them means that we can refer to them easier, and that's I, th- I know it's something that Know Your Stuff do. They de- they've named all of their devices as well. And I, I just uh, love keeps it. it light in the lab. So yeah, absolutely. And um, how would you describe them? They kind of like a cylinder. Yeah. So these were all made in our lab. They're all three D printed currently. They uh, are UV spectrometers, so they test drugs based on their fluorescent signal that they they give off when you irradiate them with a UV light. Mm-hmm. Similar in some ways to the IR machines that they use here, whereas they use infrared light, we use uh, UV light to interrogate the sound. Such as this one here called Fiona. Yeah, Fiona. (laughs) So Barry is more of a fluorescence device, Fiona's more of an uh, infrared device. I see. (laughs) Different ways of manipulating light. Okay, can I have a closer look or is it a bit delicate? Uh, Barry or Gary? uh, (laughs) Which is the most exciting? Uh, They're they're the same, they're just different designs. So this is uh, Gary. So underneath yeah. We have different UV lights. Can you see all of these down here? They're LEDs and they irradiate the sample at different wavelengths. And then inside here we have a spectrometer that's collecting all of the light. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the machine adapts it into a 3D image mm-hmm. that uh, correlates to a different compound. So things that we're currently detecting at the moment are things like benzodiazepines, um, we can see heroin, MDMA, um, a, a bunch of different drugs. Um, Here at this festival? No, no. Oh, no. just in general, in <laughs> yeah, general. So we, I was uh, say. In the UK, that's that's what we're testing. We haven't seen yeah. any, any of those heroin at the moment. No. Uh, a lot of MDMA, obviously, yeah. but no, uh, none of that. Any acid? Because someone said to um, me there's a lot of acid. Yeah, so we, we have detected it down in Christchurch, um, but we haven't seen any samples here yet. But it's not, uh, we're only getting some of the samples. This is all just a part of a research project, so we're not using any of the information to inform the clients, it's just to develop our device. Um, Are you showing the people here how this this particular a bit of both kit works. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so we're still in really early stages of development. Um, it's really new technology, and so we thought we should come out to a place where there is a very good established drug checking model, so that we could 
test how portable our device is and what we, the kind of things you, you guys are seeing, how it fits into the workflow, things like that. So. A couple of steps away, Know Your Stuff's Wellington manager, Jax Brown, is putting a few specs onto the sterilised spectrometer plate to identify the substance. In this case, it's a crystal sample, so what I'm going to do to make sure it gets a better read, I just put it on and I've got a little spatula here and I'm just giving it a little crush down and that turns it into powder. What that means is that I'm better able to cover the diamond in the spectrometer and then I put, bring this pressure head down and what that does is it means that um, that's tightly packed in there because if there's any gaps in that sample, it doesn't get as good a reading. What I'm now just doing is going to the laptop and what we do is we enter the sample number on here to make sure that we've got a consistent record with the data that was entered at drop-off. We put in uh, what kind of sample form it is and we put in our name. Mm-hmm. But what I'm looking at here is I can see that there's nice big peaks here. On the um, line. So I just go to click start measurement. So what this is now going to do is it's going to take 23 scans of this thing, uh, of the substance. So in this case, um, we're getting an initial analysis and a confident hit for MDMA. Yeah. So this hit meets our confidence threshold. Um, and we can also see that this uh, black line, which is the reference sample, and the red line, which is our live reading, mm-hmm. are really nicely closely matched here. So what we then do is we right-click onto this result and we do what we call an auto-subtract. So that's taking away that MDMA result. So, and then it's researching here. The, reading, the hit reading is extremely low and we're like, this is just noise, it's just guessing at something here. Um, so in which case, we put in the initial result here and we'll say what the substance is and we'll say what that confidence level is. So now we've entered that data and the substance in this case is as presumed and it doesn't contain, contain any binder or filler in this case because we didn't find anything residual. What we then do is we try to give everybody as much of their substance back as possible. We scrape the residual from the spectrometer head and then we can just pop it back to the ba- into the bag for the client because there's nothing, uh, nothing harmful or nothing... Um, there's no, we, can, no, we know there's been no cross-contamination here. And what, nice you, and, yeah. and, and what would you be telling these clients? It's all good, there's no worries in that. Basically, we never say it's all good, no worries, because no drug use... We, we, um, no drug use is completely safe in the same way that, you know, um, drinking alcohol and he has always... Everything always comes with risks, right? People make their choices. So what we would be saying in this instance is we've got a high confidence hit for MDMA and we haven't been able to detect anything else in the sample. So it's not a measure of purity, um, strength, quality, anything like that. All the spectrometer can do to say, is it this substance or isn't it? So this sample is confirmed MDMA with no residual substance. It's handed back to the client who either chooses to keep it or have it destroyed and bleach on site. They're asked a number of questions which are recorded, including how they intend to use the drug, like snort it or swallow it, for example. And then the favourite question that I like to ask is, so what do you do to keep yourself safer when taking whatever the substance is, so in this case MDMA. What that does is tell you two things. From the client reaction, some clients will look at you and kind of be like, what? 
um, and you can kind of tell they've never really thought about it and really kind of saying well you know in this case you want to be thinking about kind of make sure you're keeping yourself hydrated including you know keeping salts up and do they know about things like safe dosing because dosing is really not the, the two things that really indicate people's um, experiences do they know the substance they've got are they dosing it correctly and do they know the signs to look out for um, to make sure that they're giving themselves the best experience possible? So they're the three things we want to check. So what does all this mean for the organisers of these events? Well, I'm round the back of the main stage with festival director John Minty. Any problems so far with drug use, you know, people overdoing it, anything like that? Uh, no, we've had no reports. Um, what happens with Know Your Stuff is they are in direct contact with our medics. So if they find anything that's a bit dodgy, uh, our medics know straight away. And that really helps the process. So if anyone comes with certain symptoms, they know exactly possibly what's caused it. How important is it to have all this out in the open? Because pre-2020... Yes, it was a grey area. Uh, we were getting positive comments from the health minister and the, even the police to say... We see this as a health issue, not a policing issue. And we got that feedback when we did our uh, festival wrap-ups with police. And um, so that, to me, gave me some confidence that we could offer that service before it was actually properly legalised and I wouldn't get into trouble. Mm. The last thing any festival organiser wants is someone, you know, um, ODing on, on a combination of maybe drugs and alcohol, etc. Some people would say this encourages drug use, it normalises illicit drug taking. Yeah, I, I think it's totally the opposite. Um, if you go to any festival anywhere in the world, going back to millennia, people were taking psychedelics and drugs. So it's a matter of life, you know. So you can't ban drugs in Australia. They've got drug dogs at the festival entrance and they've lost so many kids because they're loading up on their drugs before they go into the festival. And that's the reality of enforcing like that drug-free thing from a policing point of view. What is your actual policy on, on drugs, I guess? Is it basically turn a blind eye? Well, not really, no. We have a no-drug policy. That, that's an official policy of our festival. In the same way, no alcohol is allowed on, no glass, etc. So we, we do search people when they come in for, for alcohol. Oh, you do? Yes. Um, but we don't... We're basically looking for people that have large quantities, you know, the, the people that are maybe dealing, and they're the people that we'll then refer on to the police. Um, we don't search through sort of women's purses looking for a joint or something like that. Um, you know, we feel that's too invasive. Um, but certainly people that are caught with large quantities, you know, we, we catch them and we, we hand them over to the police. And is that... Does that happen? It's happened occasionally. It's very rare. And the people that generally bring it in are not regular explorers. They're just opportunists that think, oh, I'll come to explore and sell a lot of drugs. So we've generally stopped that sort of thing happening. That's it for today. The detail is supported by NZ On Air and RNZ. This episode was engineered by William Saunders and our producers are Alexia Russell, Gwen McClure and Davina Zimmer. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Kakite anō.